So welcome to another episode of Tall Hungry Girl Talks. Um, today I am doing uh, what is part two um, of a two-part series on clean beauty. Um, I'm super excited about this because it's something that is relevant to basically every person that is existing. <laughs> if they clean themselves, if they apply lotion, if they take a bath and use soap. Um, uh, and we're going to continue talking about clean beauty. So today I am interviewing Baltimore native Ayana Woods. She founded Fancy Free Hair and Skin in 2015 to offer a holistic approach to hair and skin for the entire family. She uses her laboratory science exper expertise and cosmetology experience to create quality, chemical-free products guaranteed to work for all hair and skin types. She's a former pr professor and medical laboratory, laboratory supervisor, and she offers the science of beauty as an example of the many career paths STEM fields offer minorities and women. The Fancy Free Manufacturing Laboratory and in Internship Program focuses on STEM training and economic development in her hometown of Baltimore City. She is dedicated to making a positive impact in Baltimore by aligning her passion for healthy living, science, and beauty with her strong conviction to chain for the change that she wants to see in her community. And welcome, Ayana. <laughs> and, and just a little plug for her, you can find all of her products at fancyfreehairandskin.com. I'm excited to try them myself. Um, and so, yeah, check her out. Um, I think it's always exciting to, to support, you know, female, female businesses, but also local businesses. So welcome, welcome to the show. <laughs> <laughs> quite quite the experience that you've had and and what a drastic change in career yeah I, it's drastic but not really I yeah. still you know the lab side is the lab side the manufacturing side is still kind of the same things it's the business side that's way different than yeah. um being obviously managing a, a medical laboratory um, but the day-to-day -day grind is the same old lab stuff. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Just applied so, differently. Yeah, no, definitely. So, okay, you have a master's degree in forensic science, right? Yes. So, um, and used to look, you used to work in a laboratory. So, so take me through the process of how you started this business because I'm fascinated to know it, and I know that, you know, um, listeners are fascinated too, and I think it also is empowering to know that if you want to make such a career shift, you can, mm -hmm. um, and to do, you know, something like this. So, so walk me through your journey. Well, I grew up in a salon. My great aunt owned a hair salon, so my mom worked in there. All my cousins and aunts worked in there, and I actually worked in there as a kid, but I've always been around cosmetology. So when I was in undergrad, I was the girl in the dorm doing hair, um, but I always was interested in forensics, and when I graduated with a bachelor's degree in um, general biology, and I was applying for forensic science jobs, they all were saying, well, you need a master's degree. I was like, okay. So I, um, but I really liked the lab. So I struggled in undergrad, I'm gonna be honest. 
um, I don't know what it was, but um, I graduated with my first bachelor's degree. I graduated with like a two, three. So I don't know what, but, but I, you were busy partying. You were busy partying. <laughs> What's that? Point? I don't know. <laughs> but I realized that I liked the lab portion of all my science classes. Like the theory, I didn't really get, but well, in chemistry, but the lab part was lab stuff was my jam, the hands-on. So um, I ended up getting a second bachelor's degree in medical and research technology. And that is where you become a medical laboratory scientist. So you're doing the lab work in a hospital. And once I finished that program and I had a full-time job, I was like, okay, I really, really like, I really love what I did um, in the blood banking and transfusion medicine. Um, but if, as an overachiever, when you're ambitious, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and get this master's degree, see what forensic science is all about. And if I like it, I can change career paths. If I don't, I can stay where I am and continue to work and have a master's degree and that I could, with a master's degree, I could teach at a collegiate level. So, um, so I did that. I got the master's degree, and while I was working full time and in grad school, I was also styling hair in an actual hair salon as a natural hairstylist, um, and also working on some styling hair on some film projects that were being filmed in Baltimore City. Um, and I, it's just something that I'm good at. It's, it was a gift, but I didn't necessarily want to be a hairstylist because it's just so laborious. Like you are on your feet <laughs> the entire time you're working. If you have you, to talk to people. <laughs> I mean, you engage your clients. You yeah. have to talk to people. You're bending over. You're on your feet. It's just very laborious and. Um, although it was work that I enjoyed, I knew that I did not necessarily want to be a hairstylist. Yes. Um, so I finished grad school. I went on to um, just continue my career as a medical laboratory scientist. I became a specialist in blood banking. And, um, you know, around 2011, I had just decided that I was not going to relax my hair anymore. And because I was a hairstylist, um, I kind of knew what my hair needed. And I was buying all these products, and they just weren't working. And I'm like, what am I doing? I knew that I needed a heavy, for my thick, kinky hair that tends to be dry, I needed something heavy, like shea butter. But I wanted it to be easy to work with. All of the shea butter-based products that I was finding in the store were waxy. Yeah. So like melt it and hurry up and do your hair, or you'd have chunks of the product in your hair, or you'd be using too much so your face be all greasy. <laughs> and so, so I was just like, after like the fourth product, I was like, what am I doing? I can, I, you know, I looked at ingredients and I was like, I can do this. And so um, I created a whipped shea butter with some other um, oils in it. And I um, whipped it, and that's what I was using in my hair. And um, around 2011, 2012, there wasn't much out about natural hair. You had a few YouTubers, but 
the people who are doing well on YouTube did not have thick, kinky hair like me. They had looser curls. And so people were just kind of like they wanted to grow their relaxer out or they had, and they were just really struggling with styling their hair because at the time there weren't a lot of hairstylists that were doing natural hair as well. So I started getting a lot of questions out and about. I'm in the store, I'm in Marshalls, I'm in the grocery store, I'm at work, and I'm a scientist. So I spend my eight hours a day looking at papers, looking at computer screen, only engaging with my, you know, five or six colleagues at a time. And so um, I, as a scientist, I fed my introvert. And when I'm getting a lot of questions from strangers, it's like, I want to help because I'm a helper, but I need to set boundaries because um, I'm not a big talker if I don't know. (laughs) So I started Fancy Free Natural Hair Consults. And it wasn't to start a business. It was only because I didn't necessarily want to (laughs) have a full-blown hour conversation about how I, the exact steps about how I style my hair in the grocery store. Which, that is like the best lesson in boundaries that I have ever heard in my life. Like, I started consulting business because I didn't want to be talking to people. (laughs) You know, it was wild because it's like, you know, oh, your hair looks good. Yeah, thank you. What do you use? And I'm like, oh, what's the stuff I make? Okay, well, then what do you do? I'm like, well, I twist it. Okay, well, you twist it. And then it's just like, come on. Yeah, yeah. So I started um, the consults business, and it really wasn't anything. I just had went to this, you know, you could get 5 million business cards from Vistaprint for $3. Had some business cards printed up, and... um, I would answer three questions. That was the rule. Three questions. On the fourth question, you get a business card. Hey, I'd love to chat and help you figure out what your which was um, a plan for your hair, um, but I just don't have the time right now. Give me a call. We'll set up an appointment, and you know I will help you. Uh, I will help you come up with a customized hair care plan based on your lifestyle your hair type, and the goals you have for your hair. And it was like, you know, I charge people like $20, whatever. But I would give them a sample of the product that I was making for myself and the recipe. This is how you make it. This is what you need. This is what you do. And those, surprisingly, people would pay me $20, and they loved the product, but they did not want to make it themselves. Yeah. So, um, you know, they would come back and say, hey, can I get some more of that stuff? And I'm like, but I told you how to make it. And <laughs> you're like, I don't understand what you're not understanding. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but can you just like sell me another bucket? And I'm like, okay, whatever. So at first I was sending PayPal invoices and I was like, what am I doing? Let me just set up an Etsy store. So I bought a domain and had it redirect to um, an Etsy store and I'm selling this product. And the first year that I did that on Etsy, I made $3,000. And I was like, okay, you know. Um, And at at that time, 
towards the end of 2015, I'm pregnant. There's a huge product, a huge um, change in computer system going on at my job. So as a manager, I'm training, I'm testing, I'm building, I'm in meetings. And I'm also, you know, married, so I got to be a wife. And I'm also building a direct sales company, a direct sales team. And so 2016 comes, I had my baby, I go back to work half time and I look at the numbers and compared to 2015, I had grown 500%. Wow. With all of that going on, with no real focus on marketing this product. Like it was in a janky like deli soup container labels that I printed from that I stole from work. Like it was so janky. And after you have a kid and you go back to work, your perspective changes on what's important. At least mine did. Yeah. And I was like, well, if I made, I think I may have made like what sixteen thousand dollars. Like if I made $16,000 on this business and I did not put any effort into it, what would happen if I shift my focus from dealing with all this bureaucracy and egos and yes. everything that you have to deal with in corporate America? Because it's no different in healthcare than it is in any other um, yeah. industry. Yeah. What would happen if I shift my focus from that to my own business. Because here at this hospital, I know where I'm going to max out at. Yeah. I know what they want to pay me. I know that, you know, they're going to fake on this little 2% increase every year. But if I focus on my business, the possibilities are endless. Mm -hmm. And so in 2017, I quit. I put I put it out in the universe. Who produced this? Yeah, I talked to my husband, and um, things were aligning, and so I did not feel guilty about quitting because, as a specialist, I really was the only person in my department who could do my job. And so I I enjoyed my work. I enjoyed the people that I worked with, and so I was feeling guilty about just leaving them. But you know. When you put things out into the universe, the universe answers. Yes. So I hired someone and she was also a specialist in blood banking and she was coachable and I was able to train her to take over my position. And so um, I quit. And so that is how. That, I that is amazing. So um, one of the things, you know, kind of going back to talking about clean beauty and the chemicals that are in hair products and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, in the previous episodes, we talked about some of the impacts of those chemicals. And, you know, I, in, in preparing for this interview, I read a study by Science Direct, which found that hair products used by black women and children contain multiple chemicals associated with endocrine disruption and asthma. And the prevalence of parabens and DEP is consistent with higher levels of these compounds in bio-monitoring samples from black women compared to white women. So basically, to sum that up, it's a mouthful, there are like so many more chemicals 
in black women's hair products than there are in white women's hair products. Um, do you feel like most people are aware of this? And was this a motivating factor in you creating your company and the products that you're, you've created? When I started my company, when I started making a hair product, it was not something that people really talked about. It was yeah, kind of, yeah. we were just beginning to see people switching over to um, natural products. So products that were free of preservatives and um, just, you know, I have a philosophy. If you can't eat it, then you shouldn't be putting it on your skin because your skin absorbs, it goes into your bloodstream just as if you ate it. Um, but people didn't know that. And that was kind of a motivating factor for me to begin to create all of these different products. And the first thing I would do with my natural consult um, clients is bring me your, bring me everything that you're using in your hair. Let, let's look at what's in it. And um, you, we, would, we would be kind of, sh you know, sh shook at some of this stuff. I think the issue is that Black women do more to their hair trying to manipulate it to do something that it doesn't want to do. Yeah. So I found that I was doing a lot of therapy, some therapy for hair, instead of consulting. Mm -hmm. So Black women, just the European standard of beauty is stuck in their head, that good hair versus bad hair thing and all of that. And so you find women, they're just looking for products that will make their hair do something that really is not meant to do. So they yeah. just keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. And when they come to me, fancy free, it's, it's kind of like, girl, stop. You know, like, just stop. Just make sure it's moisturized. Let, figure out what your hair wants to do and roll with that. Because yes, you're going to try, you're going to drive yourself crazy trying to get your hair to look like mine when you know, it just doesn't want to do that. That's not what it's designed to do. It wants to block to the front, we'll cut a bang so you can see, you yeah. know? <laughs> and, um, and so it has become part of my um, fancy free journey has become education and awareness for my customers. And when, when I talk to people, because you have to pay attention to what they're looking at, at in these, what they're putting in these products because they don't care about you. They care about the profit. Yes. And yes. when I started, I joined the Society of Cosmetic Chemists. And I'm looking at these um, cosmetic chemists, these people that are formulating products. And they're all white and Asian men and women. A white and Asian man does not know what I need for my hair. What they're doing is formulating products based on what the company needs and then marketing it to African-American women because we're going to buy. We spend nine times more than any other ethnic group on hair and skin products. Oh, wow. Nine times more. So, so that's why we're more exposed because we're yes. using more. We're yeah, more. exactly. Yes. And it's like when, like... I, I mean, for, I guess, white people, like, getting a perm is getting the get a curl. But right, for right. people, it's, it's a straightener. But I remember getting a perm when I was younger, and it just burning. And, like, some of my skin, like, yeah. slipping off. And you can only imagine 
I mean, that doing that every six to eight weeks. Yes. Yes. And the chemicals that your skin is absorbing. And so, so it sounds like you're not only doing education, but also product development. Yes. So, yeah. so talk to me about how your background in science influences the products that you make, because you have a unique perspective and, and that you know what these chemicals do. And so tell me, tell me how you've, you've used that. So lately I've gotten more and more into product development um, as my business grows. And then I'm also doing product development and private label manufacturing for other businesses. And so um, basically we do what's called market research. And so when, when we're doing market research, essentially when I tell my clients, I say, okay, here, find three products. You, you want a shampoo. Find three shampoos that you like. Tell me what you like about them. Tell me what you don't like about them. Tell me what you want in them. You know, like, they, I want all these ingredients because I know sage oil does this and um, jojoba oil does that. Um, and nettle, nettle extract has this effect, but I don't want all of these bad things in them. And so um, basically I do the market research I figure out, you know, what their market, their, their target market is, like who is going to be actually using the products and how they'll be using them. And I throw everything in a pot and I say, okay, that didn't work. <laughs> and I tweak this and I say, okay, this technique, I can't add the xanthan gum before I add the aloe vera juice because then it's going to, you know, do this. And so after I, you know, I have my book of secrets where I write my formula and my technique down. And um, once I finalize the formula and the technique, I have a written procedure that you follow these steps and you will get this product every single time, like a recipe. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as a scientist, I don't know everything. I just know where to look. Or when I should look. Okay. Or um, you know, what does this what does this ingredient do? Which, you know, let me look look that up. Okay, I need to add this preservative, this, you know, vegetable-based preservative, this natural preservative. At what point do I add it in my formula? Do I add it? Oh, it has to be um it can't be too hot. It has to be above this temperature, and those kinds of things. And then also sterile technique and proper storage and, um, you know, a lot of things that people who aren't in science and who have not worked in a technically a manufacturing laboratory don't necessarily think of. As a manager um, of a lab, I had to, of a blood bank, because it's a little bit different than the other areas of the lab that are just testing specimens you know, the blood bank is very heavily ready, regulated, especially by the FDA. And so, you know, just the setup of the lab and how you're supposed to store things and use things and monitor this and, you know, gloves and masks for certain things. Um, it, it influences how I run my own laboratory. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, if you're resourceful, if you can cook, you can make products. It's, yeah. not, it's not that difficult. 
you do have to have tenacity because it's not going to work the first or the second or the third or the eighth time. Yeah. Sometimes you have to try it like 20 times and then you're like, this is it. This is the (laughs) one. So how do you go about ensuring, because, you know, when we say natural and stuff like that, like not all chemicals are bad. I think that that's what people like, um, you know, I talked about that in my previous episode is that, you know, it also often has to do with dosage and, you know, how it's being used and all of that. And so not all chemicals are necessarily bad and really everything is kind of technically a chemical, like chemicals come from natural ingredients, yeah. right? Yeah. And so mm-hmm. th- things I've learned <laughs> right. in researching for. Here's your degree. <laughs> You're a scientist now. <laughs> and so, you know, labeling is often very confusing when they say natural on, you know, hair products. It can mean like, it's like marketing and because it's not, re- you know, regulated, there's just so many things. So, you know, it's a long-winded way of asking, how do you ensure, like, the safety and the, I guess, the natural part of your, of your hair products when you're sourcing ingredients? Like, what is that process? So I have a, um, I have trusted vendors that, you know, when I order from them, they send the, basically, the safety data sheet that tells me everything about my product the pH of it, where it came from, did it come from Ghana, did it come from Italy? They're very good with documentation. Okay. Um, Certain things, if I, you know, certain things you just have to put a preservative in. If you're dealing with a, if you're dealing with anything that has a water-based ingredient, you have to put a preservative in it or fungus will grow. And so just understanding, like, I'm not going to, I'm going to use vegetable um, or naturally derived preservatives, something that's derived from corn or coconut or something like that. I'm not going to use formaldehyde or a, um, which is in some of the, like, I guess the, you know, the, I don't want to say the non-natural, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, so you have to think about the good thing about being a scientist and being able to run a lab is that I can make my products. If I were to use a third party, you know, if I were to use a private label manufacturer the way, you know, I'm private label manufacturer for some other companies, you have to consider shipping, shelf life, and all of the, those, you know, things that happen when once the products leave you. If you're not taking it directly to the consumer, what's going on with the product and so um you know i just make sure that i'm not adding any extra preservatives so you know you might look at you you can cheat with natural products like there are some websites where you can buy the base add your fragrance add some sparkle add some food color and boom you have a natural product but because you aren't actually making the product, they put extra preservatives in those things. Mm-hmm. You have to pay attention to that. And, you know, I've tried to cheat. I've tried. <laughs> I have tried to cheat. And it's like I start going and I'm looking at each. I'm going and I'm researching every single ingredient because sometimes it's stuff that I haven't seen before, haven't worked with before. And I'm like, ah. Okay, I gotta do it the right way. This is not gonna work. Um, 
So just researching, you know, it is tedious. It yeah. Is. Yeah. But it's worth it. But worth it. It's worth it because yeah. so it's for example, phenol phenoxyethanol is a new one to me that is banned in Japan. Anything that's banned outside of the US, I don't use it. It's supposedly safe in concentrations less than 1%. But if you're using multiple products that all have that in there, you're yeah. exposing yourself. And that's what, yes, and that's what people need to think about is that so much of it is the dosage that, you know, the level of exposure and stuff like that. And so, yeah, like you said, if you're, you know, if a perfume or lotion or hair product, if you're wearing five different ones, then that's yep. going to be over the dosage, you know? Yep. And over time, those things that you're exposed to, anything that you are overdoing is going to have a bad effect on you. You can you can overdo water, really. Yes. <laughs> so, so you just have to pay close attention, and most people don't. So I take it, you know, my I take it as my responsibility to educate people, but also to provide a line of products where they're not even going to have to think about that. People are really surprised when I say, oh, yeah, this product, this milk for hair and skin, I use it on my face daily as a moisturizer. I use it in my hair as a leave-in conditioner. I use it as a hand lotion. They're like, you can use it? Yes. Yes, you can. You, can. you don't have to have 20 separate products. You know, you can have one or two products that are just as effective. And that minimizes the, you know, the the under the sink clutter of products. Yeah, graveyard is what I call it. Yeah. So, uh, so what are what are some of the the um the effects of these chemicals, like the hair chem, the like the bad chemicals that that people so like relaxers that you know maybe women are using that every six to eight weeks, like you said. So what what are the um, impacts of that? So anything you put on your skin is going to be absorbed into your bloodstream. And depending on what it is, it can have a different effect on it. So parabens. Parabens mimic estrogen. And so estrogen is going to increase cell division, so increase cell growth. And then that leads to cancer. Cancer is unchecked cell growth. And if you think about it, you know, since all of these products are, more and more products are becoming available, people are not necessarily looking at what's in them. People are just using, slathering it on. And because it's cheap and poor quality, you have to use more of it. You're seeing more and more chronic diseases because of these chemicals that are, we're putting on our skin, we're putting on our hair, and it's being absorbed, and it's affecting our endocrine systems, it's affecting um, cell growth, it's causing tumors, and you're not even thinking about it. Yeah, it's a slow burn, right? It, it's a slow burn, so it could happen 10 years maybe after you, you've used the product for 10 years, stop for 10, and you could get cancer, you know, you are tested for cancer or something. And so I think that sometimes people aren't able to put the linkages together. Mm -hmm. And so it's so important to be proactive. Um, so what are some of the most damaging ingredients people should avoid in hair and skincare products? Like when they're looking at a label, it, you know, we want people to go to fancyfreehairandskin.com. 
<laughs> but if they're not, you know, if say that they need, you know, are on vacation or something and can't order it from your website and get it there as quickly as they want, mm -hmm. go to the grocery store, what should they avoid? What are, or so, what should they go for too, you know? <laughs> so parabens and phthalates are, are big ones that, you know, avoid all, all products that say that have a paraben. It, it's usually a long word that you're really not paying attention to. All alcohols are not bad. So acetyl alcohols um, are, are not bad because those are our emulsifying waxes. So that is how you're able to keep oil and water together in a product. Um, formaldehyde, obviously, that is a... Um, that is used sometimes as a preservative, um, but it can cause respiratory issues and they aren't sure if it is related to lung or nasopharynx cancer. Um, toluenes and you know, phenol, phenoxyethanol is one that I just talked about. And then aluminum, which is an antiperspirant, um, we avoid that. So there were a lot of studies that directly linked aluminum in deodorant to causing breast cancer. Um, and I think since the shift to natural deodorant has probably affected a lot of profit margins, then you see a lot of dialing back and, and um, backtracking on, on, on that claim. It's also associated with Alzheimer's because people with kidney disease can't filter out the aluminum and it goes to their brain. And so you see that people, my goodness, they have, have there have been studies that people with Alzheimer's have elevated levels of aluminum in their brain. But they're saying that you can't prove that it's the aluminum. And it's just kind of like, just avoid it all. Yes. I smoke you know? natural deodorants. And let me tell you, it is a process. I, like, I'm not going to lie. I, yes. I know it is a process that I have been going through during quarantine. And I'm glad that I've been going the through time. it. Yeah. It's time to do it. Yeah. But now, like, I, I feel like my body is adjusted. And two, it's like, I feel like it's natural for your body to sweat. And so not sweating is, is a little not natural. No. And it's something new. It's something new that, you know, I, I feel like it's the 40s or 50s where that is when antiperspirants became a thing. Yeah. Before that, you just sweat and you put perfume on or, you know, whatever deodorants they had available. But I always, for people who are hesitant, I always give the visual of imagine you have some cantaloupe in a Tupperware that you forgot in your car in the summertime. And when you open that molded, nasty cantaloupe, what it smells like. That's what's going on when you put any perspirant in your underarms is blocking your pores, preventing the toxins from coming out. So when they do come out, you smell bad. <laughs> because it's Great. being held inside festering and so instead yeah. of you saying oh let me not wear deodorant you're like I need stronger deodorant because I stink no 
you're just letting it fester and to the point where it's for and because it really antiperspirant really doesn't work like people still sweat yeah yeah you know so it's like you're putting all of this in your body for for nothing yeah so i just you know just be very careful with phthalates parabens aluminums toluene formaldehydes um and everyone has a smartphone. If it's something that you're like confused, just Google it. And it might take make shopping a little your trip to Target a little bit longer. But I mean, especially right now, like where else do you have to go? You only have Target and Walmart anyway. So just take your time. Yes. <laughs> so what would be, I guess, like my final question to you would be that I know, and you know, I talked about this in the previous episode is like beginning the process of switching out your care products. Mm -hmm. So in terms of like hair, like what is like the first step that you think that women can take? Because shampoo and conditioner, like, you know, white women, like I used to wash my hair every single day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know that like most of my black girlfriends, they don't do that. You know what I mean? Right. So me switching out my shampoo and conditioner would probably be the most important thing. But I guess for women in general, like what, what do you think that they should start with? Cause I feel like some people think, Oh my gosh, this is just so much. Like what is the first step that people can take to get on this journey of, of natural care products? I think when, when, um, you know, moisturizers are easy, you know, like you, you pick a moisturizer that, that isn't full of water, that isn't full of mineral oil. Um, and you try it and you say, oh, I'm not ashy today. This is going to work. <laughs> um, hair and natural deodorant is a little bit different. That is also um, a mindset. So you just have to go in prepared that this is going to be a journey. Some days it's going to work for me and other days it's not. All days I'm still beautiful. Yes. So, you know, Amen. Even even as a hairstylist, when I first, like, I grew my relaxer out. So my hair was always really, you know, long. And so I grew it out. And then um, after, I'd say about 10 months of growing it out, I just cut it. And so that was an adjustment. And even as a hairstylist, I had good hair days and bad hair days as I was figuring out what was working for my hair. And it's not just the products, it's the styling techniques, you know, and on days when it wasn't looking too hot, I would just put a flower in it and put some makeup on and be like, I'm owning it today. because You know, this hair is just not, um, you know, it's not doing something for me, but it's a mindset and people are quick to, you know, you just have to go in knowing that I'm in this for the long haul and my health is Is better. Yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate all of your information, your perspective. Um, Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, you can find her products at fancyfreehairandskin.com. And you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and on my website at tallhungrygirl.com. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us. Until next time. <laughs>